Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I've spent 30 years with the opportunity having uh, not work, but having more fun every day maximizing the platform of the Dallas Cowboys. Somebody looks the other way, I said, whoa, whoa, come on back over here and look at the Cowboys. And when it got a little dull, I tried to liven it up a little bit from time to time. That's Jerry Jones from earlier this week explaining his philosophy regarding the Dallas Cowboys, and it really has been the case, Shireen, for the last three decades plus. Jerry Jones, the master at marketing his team, no such thing as bad publicity as long as they spell your name right, and I'm checking to make sure both of our names are spelled right this morning. Not that they've been spelled wrong. That's just my way to try to work that in. I don't want to get the control room against me, especially on a day when you never know when that one clip is going to drop. You know the clip. The clip. And, and there it is. I tried to be nice, control room. The over-under. The over-under was 10 seconds. If you cash the uh, ticket for the under, congratulations and enjoy your Friday. All right. Good morning, Shireen. How are you? Okay. We don't have good to show morning. both good angles. Morning. We know how it ends. Thank you, control room. Hi, Shireen. <laughs> Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Happy Friday to everybody. Yeah, it's great to have you again, and it was great to hear from Jerry finally. And, you know, that was a great clip to open the show with because that further undermines, and Sims and I talked about this yesterday, but you're the one that covered the Cowboys for years, and I want your take on this. Jerry had some not necessarily rambling, but it was confusing response about why he's been so quiet. He's never quiet, and it it doesn't mesh with the idea that anytime anyone's attention strays from the Cowboys, you say, come on back. We'll give you a reason to focus on the Cowboys. He basically went into hiding from April, late April after the draft until Wednesday of this week. We've never seen a stretch like this before. And especially with the Dak contract boiling in July and surely a desire by Jerry Jones to get 
the fans on his side via manipulation of the media, it's stunning that he went so long without talking. Yeah, God love Jerry Jones. We're going to be sad when when he when he's gone. I hope he lives forever because uh, you know he he's so exciting when he talks. And you know we did the draft last week on things you're going to miss about training camp, and that probably should have been number one. And we didn't even mention it, but having Jerry Jones talk and and I think part of not having the off season was nobody had access to him. You couldn't get to Jerry Jones, so nobody heard from him. But I think that does undermine him saying. Do you just expect me to pop up when you want me to talk? Well, absolutely we expect you to pop up because that's what you've done since you've owned the team since 1989. You've been the face of the Dallas Cowboys, the voice of the Dallas Cowboys, and you do pop up and you do say what the team's stance is on every single little thing. He has his hand in everything involving the Dallas Cowboys, so why wouldn't he talk? And he hasn't talked since the third day of the draft, late April until earlier this week, and so... It was a long period of silence, perhaps the longest period of silence in Jerry Jones' history of owning the Dallas Cowboys since 1989. But yes, he should have stood up and talked about the social justice issue way back when, and he didn't do it. He didn't talk about Dak after that happened in July, and it's been a long time since we've heard from Jerry Jones. Yeah, you know, we've never had to say, Jerry, what do you think about this? We know what he thinks about it before anyone would ever even tee him up to give his views. And I I really do believe between the social justice issues, the combination of the anthem controversy, he retreated. He deliberately retreated. He was even called out by multiple members of the team, two members of the team, Don Terry Poe and Gerald McCoy. And I I, I said to Sims yesterday, Shireen, and I want to know what you think about this. I think that it probably was better at the end of the day that he waited until they could try to thread the needle. And we still don't know. They're still in that kind of that phase where you're lining the thread up and you're, you're squinting and you're, you wonder if it's going to go through. But the, the explanation yesterday where he used grace, I think 27 times, the, I, I, I feel like it probably was better to have a crafted explanation, as crafted as any Jerry Jones explanation is ever going to be in August versus Jerry just shooting from the hip in June when it potentially could have gone haywire. Yeah, you know, they released a video, and and he said that stands as our statement, but Jerry wasn't in the video. He was conspicuously absent from that video. I think if he would have been in that video – it would have been better. And that's the one thing I think they could have done uh, to make it better is they could have had Jerry in that video. It would have been scripted. Nobody would have been asking him questions. And it would have answered a lot of questions before we got to this week. But if he wasn't going to talk, if he wasn't going to do anything else, then yes, I agree that him not talking until now and having more of a scripted uh, talk was probably better uh, than, than it would have been if, if we had heard from him in, in late May or so. But I do think he should have been in the video. And I, I, I assume it was killing him to not say anything about the Dak Prescott situation because clearly he and his son Steven see the Prescott contract one way. Prescott and his camp see it a dramatically different way. And nothing that Jerry and Steven have been able to say privately or publicly has changed that. 
And Jerry, I think, would have loved to have that last-ditch effort to put a thumb on the scale to just try to stir up enough public sentiment to get Dak to say, okay, I'll take the best offer. Let's play a little bit of both Jerry and Dak from Wednesday just to set the table for our conversation about how we got to this point and where we go from here. Here's Jerry and Dak on the contract from earlier this week. We think he's outstanding. We think he's our quarterback of the future. Uh, we just couldn't get together at this particular time. I think it's easily worth noting that uh, uh, a lot of people this year in the franchise mode uh, didn't get together. One of the biggest reasons is the backdrop of, of the COVID. One of the biggest reasons is the economic issue. I've just spent weeks and weeks, a part of this rasp voice on the phone, talking with NFL and the Players Association, weeks and weeks working through the economic consequences. And candidly, nobody knows what's going to be there next year, next year, or the next year. And frankly, we all know that what we were talking about in Dak's case was the next year and the next year and the next year and the next year. So all of that came to bear and this was just a less than stable time to be talking about serious, serious, generational, if you will, to use Dak's term, dollars in an unknown period of time looking forward. Business is business, and once I'm in the, uh, in the locker room and part of this, uh, a part of what's going on now, I don't focus too much about the future, uh, just more about today. Um, and so with that being said, I'm excited as hell to be a Dallas Cowboy. Uh, I've been a fan of this organization and been a fan of this program for, for years. Uh, I love every bit of um, the opportunity and the platform that I get to be the quarterback here. I love this team. I'm excited about what we have, uh, what, we, what we can do and accomplish this year. So um, no frustration as far as that. Uh, once again, I believe something will get done. And with my hopes, I believe I'll be a Dallas Cowboy uh, for the rest of my career. I don't think anybody's been able to compartmentalize football and business better than Dak Prescott. And I think at the end of the day, Shereen, that's the reason why he has never buckled. He has never just said, okay, enough money is enough money. Generational is generational. It doesn't need to be a giant capital G generational. I can just take the Cowboys offer of generational money, even though I can work this system to my advantage if I treat it more like a business. He has treated it like a business. I think, now look, maybe there are others who have done it as well, but I can't think of anyone who has done it better than Dak Prescott where he can just wall off the business aspects, focus on football, take care of football business, which sets him up even better for business business. And the Cowboys have never hidden, Mike, their agenda of trying to separate players from agents and talk to players individually and trying to sell them on the deal. This is why we want to give you this deal. Let us spell it out for you. And they tried to do that with Dak Prescott, and he called his agent, Todd France, and said, should I talk to the Cowboys? And he, and he wouldn't do it, and he didn't go for the deal in the end. At the 11th hour, as, Dak, as uh, Des Bryant, we saw him do that in 2014, the same thing transpired and he ended up signing the deal at the 11th hour and and so Dak didn't go uh, for that and he, he did compartmentalize as you said football and business and, and he does do it very well and, and the, the fact that he didn't get a deal done won't affect him at all he'll, he'll be just fine on the football field he'll do what he needs to do and, and facts are facts he's going to make 31 million this year which is 27 28 million more than he's made in his career so far on the field of course he's made a lot more off the field as quarterback of the dallas cowboys so 
I do think he ends up staying with the Cowboys, but the fact that they didn't get it done obviously leaves some doubt in there whether they do get it done or not. We played Jerry's comments yesterday along with some words from Steve, and my reaction at the end of it was, I love both of those guys. I love what they've done for football, but I'm not buying their explanation. The explanation, the truth is, they have consistently underestimated Dak Prescott's resolve. They have underestimated his willingness to say, no, thank you. I will go with door number two. I'm not interested in door number one. And, you know, from a conceptual standpoint, I think this is so important for players and agents to understand. The Cowboys created this mess specifically by applying the franchise tag. They used a right available to them under the collective bargaining agreement to restrict a player whose contract had expired from becoming a free agent. They made the first move in this game of chess. And they decided to make a big move by not simply using the non-exclusive tag that would have cost $27 million or so this year, but also would have opened the door for someone to try to pilfer Dak Prescott if they were willing to give up a couple of first-round draft picks. The Cowboys went with the Cadillac option, $31.4 million, exclusive franchise tender, sends a message, this is our guy. And that's when Dak Prescott sits down and starts doing the math, Shereen. And I've been saying this all along. It doesn't matter what Russell Wilson makes. It doesn't matter what Patrick Mahomes makes. It doesn't matter where the market's going or where the cap is. Once you apply that exclusive franchise tag, Dak Prescott has clear rights. $31.4 million this year. $37.68 million next year if they tag him again. If not, he gets to become a free agent, and we'll see what the market will bear. And then the Kirk Cousins slash Armageddon situation for the Cowboys in 2022. $45 million under the transition tag, $54 million under the franchise tag, $54 million under the franchise tag if they want to keep him for that third year or let him hit the market. And I've been saying this all along because people are like, what's Dak Prescott really worth? What's his market value? Well, the Cowboys have kept us from finding out. And their effort to keep us from finding out has put him in a position where he can start down this path where he makes nearly $70 million over two years and then maybe ends up on the open market. Well, And, Mike, the three deals that we saw yesterday really undermine their excuse of, well, COVID played into this, the unknown economic landscape played into this in the future. We saw huge deals yesterday with Deion Dawkins with the Bills and Travis Kelsey and and George Kittle. We saw all those big deals happen, and and obviously the deadline has passed. The Cowboys can't do that deal now, but they could have done that deal before July 15th. And the fact is they didn't want to pay Dak Prescott what he wanted. He wanted a five, he wanted a four-year deal. The Cowboys wanted a five-year deal and the guaranteed money that they were offering on a five-year deal wasn't enough. And so that's why they are where they are at this point and wondering if Dak Prescott will be their quarterback beyond this season, something that they thought I guarantee you was unfathomable Uh, a year ago. They've been working on this thing for more than a year and they couldn't get it done. And, And here's the thing. You know, you can hide behind the notion that there's financial uncertainty. And look, there is. And the salary cap may be only $175 million next year. But one thing we've seen time and again during the age of the salary cap, there are devices for managing the cap. There are ways to pay your best players and kick the can down the road with other players to try to make it all fit in any given year. And really, it's far more challenging for the Cowboys next year to go forward with Dak Prescott having a cap number of $37.68 million that can't be reduced without a long-term deal. That's his salary. That's his cap hit next year. And if the salary cap is one seventy-five. dollars 
and your quarterback is taking up 37.68 of it, you got a far bigger problem than giving Dak the contract he wanted now and trying to make it fit under the cap next year. So I, I don't buy any of that. Look, the truth is they have made, they being the Cowboys, consistently bad decisions about Dak Prescott's resolve. They've underestimated him. You know, Tony Romo, end of the day, agreed and took the Cowboys' offer, and it was a team-friendly offer. And they've seen it over and over again where they ultimately get what they want. Like you said, Shireen, they throw their arm around the guy and they talk him into doing the deal. Dak's the first one who stood up to them and said, no, I'm not doing it. And I don't think they know how to handle it. Well, and you look at the Chiefs, Mike, you talk about fitting it under the cap. Remember when the Chiefs had less than $200, $200, not 200000 not $2 million, $200 under the salary cap, and they've been able to get all their core players signed long-term, and they've done it, and they've rearranged contracts to get that done, and they are set. And the, here the Cowboys sit, well, it's COVID, well, it's the financial landscape, we can't get this done right now. That had nothing to do with it. It is the fact that Dak had this resolve that they were just unprepared for, and, and now they are where they are. Of course, it helps that the Chiefs got their franchise quarterback to accept a contract that has a horribly low signing bonus, abysmal cash flow over the next few years. I mean, Dak Prescott and peep, you know, when I made the argument after the Holmes deal was, was announced and we saw the numbers that there's no way Dak Prescott would take that deal. People thought I was nuts. I mean, I, I've given them plenty of reasons over the years to come to that conclusion, but on this one, I'm not. <laughs> Dak would not take that deal, especially when you look at the most important metrics, signing bonus, guaranteed money, fully guaranteed money at signing and cash flow over the first three years, the Mahomes deal is horrendous. And what Dak would make over the next three years, and which is what he's going to make this year, 31-4 this year. Patrick Mahomes making $10, $11 million this year. The, the, the first three years, the next three years, just blows Mahomes away. And at the end of those three years, if Dak does go year to year under the franchise tag, he goes wherever he wants. Mahomes is still locked up for nine more years with the Chiefs. The biggest mistake, Mike, that I think the Cowboys made was not getting this deal done before Jared Goff, before Carson Wentz. And they had an opportunity to do that, and they didn't do that. And those two deals came out, and I was like, oh, my gosh, you can't pay Dak Prescott that kind of money. He's not worth that. And now, when you look at the Carson Wentz deal and the Jared Goff deal, they look pretty darn good. If they had done it back then, the Cowboys would be sitting in great shape. To me, that was the biggest mistake they made was not getting that deal done long ago, well before he played his fourth season and played out his contract. And here's the thing that I keep waiting for a team to do that has that young quarterback that they know based upon his first three seasons, he's our guy. Whether it's Lamar Jackson this year entering season three with the Ravens or next year, Kyler Murray, your favorite, entering year three with the Arizona Cardinals. Shereen doesn't like Kyler because he transferred from Texas A&M. So anyway, <laughs> Kyler Murray next year. Uh, once you know, and the Cardinals already know now, but they can't give him the second contract until the third season ends specifically, and I've looked at this time and again in the CBA to make sure I'm not missing something, it's when the third regular season ends. That's when you can sign that extension. So what you do when the player is in that third season and he's getting closer and closer to the end of the regular season, that's when you start negotiating. 
you're allowed to negotiate before you're allowed to do the deal. I mean, technically, the Cowboys and Dak Prescott could be negotiating now the deal that they'd sign after this regular season ends if they want to do it. You start negotiating with that young quarterback, and you put your best offer on the table the moment the regular season ends, and he's going to take it. He's going to take it then because he still has games to be played, playoff games to be played if he's, you know, as good as as you think he is and he's positioning himself for a huge payday. You should be in the playoffs. You get him to sign that contract before that first playoff game. You take the injury risk off his shoulder before that playoff game after his third season. You get the deal done as soon as the third regular season ends. I'm amazed no one's done that. And, Shereen, I think if the Cowboys would have done that and gotten Dak Prescott – the best offer they would have made at the time before the Seahawks wildcard game after the 2018 season would have been a hell of a lot less money than what they're looking at spending now. Absolutely, no question about it. And, and that's where they fell. They failed a year ago, a year and a half ago, more than they failed now, um, not getting this deal done before July 15th. So, I, you know, I think the Cowboys, as you said, that they, they thought they could talk Dak Prescott into this deal. They've done it so many times with so many players. They thought they could put their what they think is their best deal on the table and say, here's the reasons we need you to take this team. Hey, they said it publicly. Stephen Jones and Jerry Jones both said publicly, we need Dak to take a team-friendly deal. That's what they continue to call it, a team-friendly deal. And Dak said, it's not my job to, to manage your cap. You've got to manage your cap. I'm going to get my generational money, and, and he is going to end up getting his generational money, whether it's with the Cowboys or with somebody else. There is that spectrum with Peyton Manning at one end, who always had that attitude. My job is to play quarterback. Your job is to manage the cap. And then there's Tom Brady at the other end, who took the team-friendly deals. And again, he didn't take the team-friendly deals because he had this master plan that he's going to win six Super Bowls and he's going to consciously take less money. He took the team-friendly deals because he was scared to death he was going to have a bloated cap number one year and Bill Belichick was going to kick his butt to the curb like Belichick did with Drew Bledsoe. That's why Tom Brady took team-friendly deals in New England. But... I never know where a quarterback is going to land on that spectrum, and Dak Prescott is right there next to Peyton Manning. All right, Everson Griffin got out of Minnesota before they could have put him in that squeeze play that we see guys get into in July and August where they have a non-guaranteed salary that the team comes to him and says, we want you to take a lot less or we're going to cut you. He voided his contract. He had the right to void the final years of three years of his contract because we were like, oh, he would have made more if he wouldn't have voided it. Well, they would have cut him at some point before the start of the season if he hadn't voided it. He made a smart move here because he's getting more than what the Vikings or anyone else would have paid him if he had to do it in a compressed time frame, Shereen. He's getting $6 million, $3 million salary, $3 million per game roster bonuses from the Cowboys. And now the table is being set for them to have, and I mentioned this yesterday, like a Seahawks or an Eagles style of rotation where you've got six, seven, eight defensive linemen that you're constantly using. You keep those guys fresh, and they're battering an offensive line that doesn't get the kind of breaks that a deep and diverse defensive line will get. That's one of the key foundations to having a very good defense. And that's what they tried to do with Rod Marinelli. That's what he likes to do is rotate those defensive linemen. And and frankly, they weren't able to do it because they didn't draft very well. And it's, it's really hard to criticize the Cowboys drafts because they have had some very good drafts. They've drafted a lot of all pro Pro Bowl players over the last few years, but they have failed to repair this defensive line. They did a good job getting Demarcus Lawrence a few years ago. 
But Tristan Hill last year, they didn't have a first-round draft pick, used the second-round pick on him because Rod Marinelli insisted he would be a great three technique for their defense. He didn't work out, was inactive for most of the games, a healthy scratch. He was not good. So they had to go out and sign two free agents as defensive tackles. They got Carolina's two guys, Poe and McCoy, to come in and play defensive tackle. And then they, they've obviously failed with the Randy Gregory pick for the fact that he hasn't been on the field. He's been suspended for most of his career with the Cowboys. And so now they have to go out and find that other defensive end. Last year was uh, Robert Quinn on a one-year deal, and they end up bringing in Michael Bennett uh, in, in late in midseason and things like that that they've had to do to repair this defensive line. And now they've gone out and signed Everson Griffin, and they got Alden Smith. And it is against their philosophy. Their philosophy has been, over the last few years, we're building with the draft. But now they've had to go out and fill in these voids on the defensive line because they didn't draft very well there. Yeah, that's right. And one of the guys they drafted, Randy Gregory, they thumped their chest the year that they picked up Gregory in round two. The reason he fell to round two was the – one of the reasons why, one of the big reasons why, he's currently not available. The repeated violations of the substance abuse policy, and I've got strong opinions about that. I don't think the NFL should care about what guys do in their own time. If you're using PEDs, that's one thing. If you're smoking marijuana or using recreational drugs that have no enhancement of your on-field performance and aren't on the banned substances list for that reason, they shouldn't care. But they still do, and Gregory's still trying to get back in, Shireen. At first blush, the addition of Everson Griffin made me think, they're just moving on from Randy Gregory. They're giving up their folding tents. I, I, I think they're still holding out hope that something's going to work out and they're going to just add Gregory and the rotation gets even deeper. I don't know if it's going to work out, but my understanding is they're not ready to walk away from Randy Gregory simply because they have Everson Griffin. No, and he's filed for reinstatement. He's waiting to hear. He feels like he's done all the right things to get back in the league, and uh, they just want a history of drug tests, and they haven't been able to do that because of COVID. That's not Randy Gregory's fault, uh, but that's the facts. That's, that's what they want, and that is something that he's not been able to provide or they have not been able to test him because of COVID. But they still hope that Randy Gregory comes back and plays, and if he does, that's even better for that rotation. Now, he didn't play last year, and, and frankly, he wasn't that productive when he was in there a couple of years ago, uh, but he hasn't been on the field. He hasn't gotten those reps. He's not that experienced despite being many years into his career already, uh, but he would be something else they could add in there for some pass rushing situations. They could get him on the field and, and get him in there and let him learn from Everson Griffin and Alden Smith. To, you know, Everson's only signed for one year. So, again, they're going to be looking for another guy over there probably uh, next year. Maybe that guy is Randy Gregory. So, if they get him, I, you know, I think that defensive line's in pretty good shape if those guys can stay healthy. One of the most disappointing aspects of the CBA that was finalized back in March the substance abuse policy revolutionized, so no player will ever be suspended again for simply testing positive, right? You'll be fined, you lose a lot of money, but you'll never be suspended for simply testing positive. Lost in the cracks, these players who were on reinstatements, like Randy Gregory, like Josh Gordon, like Martavis Bryant, there's no plan for getting them back. They're still subject to the same rules that basically give the commissioner as long as he wants to make a decision. And he's got full discretion to make a decision, and nobody knows what's ultimately going to happen. All right, let's take a break. Every year, there's a strange training camp story. There's a strange training camp story that came out of Seattle, but at the same time, Shereen, I think it gives the NFL reason to be very concerned about whether or not pro football in a pandemic is going to ultimately work. We'll talk about that when PFT Live continues. Right after this. 
Last week we had a draft of the things we're going to miss about this training camp and preseason unlike any other, but because it's a training camp and preseason unlike any other, it's going to introduce a whole new universe of potentially crazy stories. Enter the Seattle Seahawks, Shireen. Rookie cornerback Kamas Sivarand was cut after he was caught on video trying to sneak a female visitor into the team hotel. And he put her in Seahawks gear so the video cameras would or whoever was monitoring them would believe that she was actually a member of the team. Uh, it didn't work. He was abruptly released. Now, look, this is the sliding scale. And, and you know, the first example that I remember of this came from Jimmy Johnson, where there was somebody who fell asleep in a team meeting and John he cut Rook. the guy and they asked, and, and what if Troy, and what was the response? What if Troy Aikman had fallen asleep in a team meeting? You remember? Yeah, exactly. exactly. It wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Yeah, I would have gotten him a pillow. That would have, and so so yeah. If it was Russell Wilson trying to sneak Ciara in, uh, Pete Carroll would have helped with her bags. But but the reality is, when you are one of the lower men on the roster and you do something this ridiculously stupid, that's what happens. And Amy Trask, our good friend, uh, former Raiders president, chimed in. If she would have dressed as Marshawn Lynch and stood on a marker that said one yard line, they would have ignored her. I mean, that is an all time mic drop from Amy Trask and uh, look look it's it's funny it's crazy it's entertaining but at the same time Shireen it's horrifying to me because if one guy is going to do something that stupid that clearly is against what they're trying to get guys to do and not do to keep the virus out of the team what are these guys going to do when they go home at night what are they I can if if one guy is going to do something that over the top there's going to be other guys. There's too many players in the league. There's too many coaches in the league. There's too many staff that are in that tier one and tier two group. Somebody's going to do something stupid and bring that virus into a team, and then you've got the foundation laid for an outbreak. Yeah, well, the first thing is Clarence Hill, our good friend from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, called me yesterday, and, and he said, uh, is this guy Aggie or is this guy Oklahoma State Cowboy? Because <laughs> he went to A&M as a freshman, which I had forgotten, and then ended up at Oklahoma State. So, of course, I said, it's Oklahoma State Cowboy. So I'm going to put it on <laughs> them. But, <laughs> yeah, I, I do think that, you know, this just presents a problem for NFL teams. And, and how are they going to keep this virus under control if guys are going to do things like this during a pandemic and and we saw it with one guy who's probably not going to get another chance in the nfl he better hope the xfl starts up and maybe he gets a chance over there because he's he's not going to get signed by anybody after pulling this stunt uh, that he tried to pull and so you know it does make you wonder what else are guys going to do and they have to do the right things and obviously not everybody is going to do the right thing because we've already seen it well, and, and the, the reality is that double standard that Jer, uh, Jimmy Jones yeah. once applied, Jimmy, jo Jimmy, Jim, Jimmy Johnson. Johnson once applied, <laughs> Jimmy Johnson once applied in the meeting room is going to apply to the rest of the roster. And if, if somebody does something stupid who is a key player, they're not going to cut him. But, you know, the, I, at a time when the message that keeps coming from the league office and from the teams is, you know, we're very confident, everybody gets it, everybody's doing the right things, everybody's taking it seriously, this so dramatically cuts against it that, that it just horrifies me about what the possibilities really are. And, and as they get closer and closer, and we're just three weeks away from the moment where you cut the rosters from 80 down to 53. This year it's 80, not 90. Everybody's got to be at 80 as of now. Uh, because of, of managing, managing the, the realities of the pandemic, once you go from 80 to 53 and you have 
you're down to you know th- those last couple guys, and you're trying to figure out who gets the roster spot. How much do you factor into it your projection based upon what you know of the guy as to whether or not he's truly someone you can trust to not do something stupid? What happened with the Seahawks underscores the importance for those last few roster spots. Is this someone that we know will do what needs to be done, or is this someone that we think there's a chance he's going to do something stupid, reckless, and selfish and potentially bring the virus into the facility? Well, and how much does it play into whether the guy's had COVID or not? If he's had COVID, has the antibodies, maybe that plays into a decision too. Yeah, we're going to take this guy who's already had it, who we know is going to be there and is not going to bring it in because he's already had it. And we don't know how long the antibodies last. I understand all that. But I do think it's going to factor in in some of these decisions, what their decision-making and whether they've had the virus or not when it comes down to those last few roster spots. They want guys who are available. They want guys who are going to do the right things. And that's more important this year than it's ever been in the NFL. You touched on something that I don't think we've discussed recently, the idea that if you've already had it, you do have some degree of attractiveness to the team because they don't have to worry about you getting it if you've already had it. Now, we still don't know enough about what it means to have the antibodies, how long it makes you immune from getting COVID-19 again. But when Peter King reported earlier this week that there were six teams that had no positive tests during the first few weeks of camp – I had an executive with a team reach out to me and say, I think the reason is you got people who have already had it, that that's one of the reasons why th- there's been no positives with those teams. And, you know, some teams have had the experience when they do the antibody test and they don't announce that. That isn't, that isn't front and center. There's no list of, of players who have been tested as having the antibodies and we know they're good to go, at least for now. You know, Guys who spent the offseason in Texas and Florida, a lot of those guys are coming in and they've got the antibodies, which means they've had it. And when Anthony Lynn on Hard Knocks the other night, the Chargers coach, came right out of the gates and said, hey, I was infected. You just wonder how many guys have been that they knew about it and didn't say anything or they didn't know about it until they got the antibody test. But, but that's a real factor as well. When you get down to those last few spots, Shireen, is, is this someone who's had it? Even if we don't know how long it's going to last – We don't have to worry about this guy being all of a sudden unavailable to us over the first couple of months of the season. These these are, these are, you know, should it be a factor? Should it not be a factor? It doesn't matter. It is. This is the kind of stuff football coaches are going to be thinking about in order to craft their team. Yeah. The, 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 you know, I don't know who first said it. I know Jimmy Johnson used it a lot and Tony Dungy, you have to be available to your team. That's the most important thing, availability. And, And they know those guys are going to be there when it counts, if they've already had COVID, that they're not going to get it again or they don't think they'll get it again. So that's the the, the most important thing, I think, that when it comes down to those last few roster spots, we're going to see. Now, we've also seen some teams might go to these mini bubbles with the Saints and the Cowboys. Are some teams going to carry that over to the regular season? And they can't make them do it, but they can make it voluntary. And the leaders of the team could put pressure. The Dak Prescotts and Ezekiel Elliott's right, could put pressure uh, on those other players to say, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to stay in this hotel. And we're not going to go out and we're going to have room service and we're going to do all the right things during the season. So that'll be interesting to watch, too, whether we see some teams go to their own midi bubble uh, in, in their home city. Some teams may do it Tuesday to Sunday as well. Not that that completely eliminates the risk, but 
if if you know ideally in theory if something happens while the players at home sunday monday you 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 get the positive early enough that you know what's going on and you otherwise have everyone else on lockdown from tuesday to sunday but yeah that's going to be one of the keys to keeping the virus out having the mini bubbles getting the veterans to buy in and then getting the rookies to just follow along and that may be a factor in crafting the final roster which guys are more likely to volunteer to stay in a hotel for the full season, which guys are more likely to resist. And, you know, young guys in their early 20s, they're not nearly as equipped as, you know, fully grown adults to keep their 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 beliefs and their opinions and their habits and their attitudes discreet. I think that good coaches and evaluators are going to know who to, who, to, who to trust and who not to trust, and those are all going to be factors. All right. Uh, when we return, Tom Brady, now a Buccaneer, his head coach and his GM had some thoughts as they get used to their new franchise quarterback. We'll let you hear what both Bruce Arians and Jason Light had to say. More PFT Live coming right after. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's a new age for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with a couple of old guys, Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski, now on the team. Peter King had a chance to catch up with both general manager Jason Light and head coach Bruce Arians for this week's Peter King podcast. Here's Peter starting off with longtime GM Jason Light. Does it still hit you a little bit odd that, hey, Tom Brady's on our team? And by the way, he's throwing to a top 100 player of all time, Rob Gronkowski. I can't lie. It does. Um, it's still, uh, you know, you walk down the hall in the morning, you know, walk by the locker room. Hey, Bill. Hey, Stephanie. Hey, you know, John. Hey, Tom. Wait, you know, <laughs> Whoa, Tom. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's still, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great feeling. The grit that he brings and just, he's just a humble person that wants to earn the leadership role, which he will and which he is obviously, because that's one of his, obviously one of his strongest assets, um, but it's just the the way he goes about it in such a humble manner, going up and introducing himself to people. Hi, Tom Brady, nice to meet you. Well, yeah, no, 
you're Tom Brady. When did you really think you had a good shot at Brady? When we finally were able to talk, you know, uh, in person uh, or on actually over the phone, just just talk and, and uh, hear his side of it, what he was looking for, um, what we were looking for, uh, the type of collaboration I've always had with our quarterbacks. Um, it was more like he was selling himself more than us trying to, to sell us. And, how, uh, so, how so? In a conversation, he was saying, I yeah, still I think mean, I can do X, Y, and Z? Oh, yeah. There was no doubt about that. It was just like he, he knew every player on our team. He'd watched all the film. Um, and was, you know, we, we could do this, we can do that. And then anytime you're, you're, you're in, in negotiation with a player, he starts saying, we, we got a good shot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so it was, uh, it was a great conversation led to another one. And, um, you know, it was, I still pinch myself sometimes that it actually happened, but, uh, man, has he been a dream to work with. I continue to be very impressed, Shereen by the ability of Bruce Arians to stick to the story that they didn't talk to Tom Brady until they were allowed to talk to Tom Brady. Bravo, Bruce. We love you. We, and if you've managed to keep it going for five months now, well done. We get it. You didn't talk to Tom Brady until you were allowed to talk to Tom Brady. We believe you. Shereen, your thoughts on Tom Brady and Tampa sure. Bay? <laughs> well, I, you know, there. of course, I covered the Tampa Bay Buccaneers way back in the day, and they were really bad until Tony Dungy came in. And and it's the most excitement I, I think they've had in Tampa since those uh, pre-Super Bowl teams that they thought were going to win the Super Bowl and then finally breaking in in the early 2000s to win the Super Bowl. And a few years after that, they were still competitive. But it's been a long, long time since fans in Tampa were this excited. And we saw they had a hard time selling uh, tickets and, and I know fans it's not going to be a full stadium this year I understand all that but the fans are really excited and if it was a if they could have a full stadium they would have a full stadium because the Bucks fans think they're going to win this year and they're obviously going to be I think much better than what they've been over the last few years I think this is a playoff team with Tom Brady if he still has something left in his legs we know legs are most important to a quarterback more important than the arm and and so if he still has something left, I think this is going to be a really good team. It's going to be competitive in that division and competitive for the NFC, which I think is wide open. They were 7-7 seven and seven with two games to go last year. And, you know, that was even with Mr. 30-30 as the starting quarterback. You upgrade <laughs> from Jameis Winston to Tom Brady, and you're definitely in the playoff conversation, especially with, and Shereen, you know, this is something Sims and I have been talking about. I don't think enough of us have fully grasped what it means to have a seventh playoff spot per conference it puts so many more teams in play down the stretch for playoff contention the Buccaneers it would be an upset if this team doesn't make it to the playoffs when you swap out Jameis Winston for Tom Brady for a team that was seven and nine last year and was kind of in the mix on the very fringes they need a lot of things to happen the last two weeks of the season winning the last two games would have helped that didn't happen uh, because in large part of Jameis Winston Tom Brady what he did in the offseason to get everybody together, even though I, you know, I didn't agree with the idea of doing the workouts in defiance of NFLPA recommendations. He, he, he put in the time. He, he's, he's doing what he has to do to show that he's every bit as driven and committed as he was in New England. And I think that uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to be pretty good this year. They could end up being one of the better teams in the conference. 
Yeah, no question about it. And, you know, Bruce Arians was asked yesterday about what his worry level was with Tom Brady not having had that offseason with this team. Yes, he led those workouts, but it was not in the team setting. And he said, Tom Brady is the least of my worries. And, and that is true. Tom Brady is the least of his worries. He's got bigger worries there. But they'll, they'll go offense, defense for the first time today, which is going to be exciting for uh, the media to, to watch. And I guess Bucks fans will get a little view of that to see Tom Brady go against that defense. And Jameis Winston had trouble against that Vance Joseph defense last year early in training camp. I don't think we're going to see that with Tom Brady. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, Daniel Snyder doing what he can to end the dysfunction in Washington. But when it comes to Daniel Snyder's own team's dysfunction, always seems to find a way. The latest development when PFT Live returns right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.